This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. A friend recently asked me which saint was my favorite. Well, in a way, that was sort of like asking how high is up. But I have a great devotion to all the saints because their lives are really roadmaps for us to follow. Oh, I don't mean trying to duplicate their lives, but they are examples of what can be accomplished when we place God in our lives and and keep him there all during the week and not for just an hour on Sunday. In today's world, we have lots of distractions, but they had distractions too, and that didn't stop them. They forged right ahead undeterred by the obstacles in front of them. Probably each generation thinks their obstacles are the greatest. But when we look at what some of these bold people were able to accomplish, well, that's why I think they all have a message for each of us, you and me. Some are more well-known than others, but that doesn't detract from what they accomplished. I'd like to give you an example of what one man was able to do, his legacy, and how his devotion to God bore fruit, so great that his superiors ordered him to write his own autobiography, to record in his own words the story of his life, a task he reluctantly obeyed in obedience to his superiors. It's called The Autobiography of St. Anthony Mary Claret, that's spelled C-L-A-R-E-T, And what was his own special charism? Very simply put, he vowed never to waste a moment of time. And during his life, he would preach some 25,000 sermons. But that was only one part of his life. He wrote in his autobiography, O my God, I give thee my word that I will labor, preach, write, and circulate good books and pamphlets in abundance so as to exterminate evil by good. And that's exactly what he did, but as usual, I'm getting way ahead of my story. Anthony Claret was born on Christmas Eve in the year 1807 in the picturesque village of Salant in the province of Barcelona and was one of 11 children. When he was put to bed in the evening, his mother had the habit of making the sign of the cross on his forehead as she kissed him goodnight and prayed for his guardian angel to watch over him. He started his religious training when he was just five years old, and it immediately had a profound effect on him. One night, his mother tucked him in, and after he had said his prayers, he started thinking about what he had just learned in catechism, about the terrible eternal fire awaiting those who ignored the word of God. Well, the thought of hell, the thought that it would last forever, the terror that it held, well, he would lay awake at night thinking about it and the people who would spend all eternity and the suffering that would result. Even at the age of five, he had seen people who were poor, hungry, and in need, and and he hated to see people who were suffering. He would lay awake at night thinking about people condemned to hell and, and how it could be prevented. Undoubtedly, the seeds of a vocation were being planted in his mind. He wanted to save people from eternal damnation. Bear in mind, this from a five-year-old, as he recorded it in his own autobiography. But it was a concern that would be with him for the rest of his life. It would be his mission to prevent people from the horrors of hell caused by sin and the terrible result of indifference. 
He learned from his catechism classes and practiced what he was taught, and he was recognized for his piety and obedience. Oh, but he was not without temptation. He would later write of the continuing battle with Satan who constantly tempted him with immorality and to ignore the wishes of both his earthly and heavenly mother. Well, regardless of these torments, he would not yield to temptation and developed a close and fervent relationship with the Virgin Mary. His relationship with the Mother of God was now being formed, a relationship that would last the remainder of his life. He would be playing with the children, for example, on the town's plaza near the church, and he would mysteriously think he heard a strange, sweet voice beckoning. Stopping his play, he would murmur, I'm coming, Mother, and then head for the church where he would kneel enraptured before a statue of the Virgin Mary, where he would share all his thoughts and concerns with her. Regardless of his piety, he was growing up, and as he did, he was constantly assailed with temptations that caused him tears of frustration, but to which he resolutely refused to yield. He could not offend his heavenly mother and would weep bitter thoughts at just the prospect of offending her with sin. And from his earliest recollections, Anthony wanted to be a priest. From those early childhood memories of the horrible fate of hell that would be forever, he was determined to spend all his time and energy preventing this tragedy. He would remind his audiences that most people lived their lives in a quest for money, fame, or comfort, but that was not for him, and that he didn't want a cent from anyone. His only recompense would be saving souls, and for that purpose he would always ignore the opportunity to rest, and often spent the greater part of the day in the confessionals that were usually filled with people making the special effort to go to confession to him. He would then spend more long hours preaching to the large crowds in the evening who would come just to hear him speak, and after his sermons he would spend more time in prayer, and then, instead of going to bed, he would spend additional hours writing books and pamphlets as guides for saving one soul. Rest was never for him, and the same for fame or public acclaim. He would explain his daily life as inspired by St. Paul, who never spoke for his own gain, but to discharge the ministry he had received from God, and his purpose was to make God more known and loved, the same as he. He would often complain that many would live and pass their lives in a state of sin, totally ignoring that they were on a direct path to hell that would last forever by the actions that they were committing time after time and day after day. He would make the comparison that if one were to see a blind man about to fall into a precipice, wouldn't you try to warn him? Well, as he would say, that's what I am trying to do. He'd then end, I have to warn my brothers and sisters to make them aware of the dangers that can lie ahead if the rules of God are ignored. I cannot let that happen, no matter how long or how much time it takes. Well, as a priest, he would make the comparison that he, like St. Catherine of Siena, would pray 
O my God, grant me a place by the gates of hell that I may stop those from entering there by saying, Where are you going, O unhappy one? Back, go back, make a good confession. Don't come here to be lost for all eternity. And then he would add, as he warned, the sole reason why society is perishing is because people do not hear the word of the church, which is the word of life, the word of God. Maybe that's something for us to think about, too. Not long after his ordination as a priest, the now Father Claret was assigned the position of assistant pastor in his hometown of Salem. Well, he loved being a priest. It was the fulfillment of all his youthful ambitions, but somehow he felt that his ultimate calling was to serve as a missionary, bringing the word of God to the foreign missions who were not familiar with him. These were the people he had lain awake nights worrying about their souls. No assignment would be too difficult, and he was prepared, if necessary, to offer up his very life to carry the word of God to people who either did not know him or did not pay attention to his commandments. He was frustrated that he felt he was not being giving or given all of these opportunities that he needed, and when the chance arose, he traveled from Spain to Rome to meet personally with the church's prefect of the propagation of the faith, but the director was away. Well, naturally, Anthony sought the opportunity to undertake a kind of spiritual retreat given by a local Jesuit. He must have made a good impression because he was then invited to become a member of the Jesuit community there, which he happily accepted. Oh, he loved the life of a Jesuit and spent his time preaching and teaching, including to those who were in prison, as well as to those in hospitals and and those who were ignored. He was easily recognized by the care and effort he was constantly providing to the people of the area as he proclaimed the story of God and his heavenly mother. Well, and as he did this, he was developing a pain that was light at first in his right lane, right leg, but, but the pain seemed to increase and then developed in such intensity that it was difficult for him even to walk. But at the same time, back home in Spain, there were many problems developing. A civil war had created great turmoil, and there was much unrest. The church was affected, and this, of course, did not go unnoticed in Rome. The Jesuit Father General called Anthony to his office and suggested that perhaps God was calling him to return to Spain and help the people cope with the difficulties back home. And he said to him, It is the will of God that you go soon, yes, soon, to Spain, and do not fear, but have courage and be of good heart. Well, always one to obey without question, Anthony was ready to return. By the time he reached his parish in the mountains of Catalonia and was ready to begin his priestly duties, the terrible pain in his leg was suddenly gone. It was cured. 
But there was much to do in his parish. There was civil unrest, and it had a devastating effect on the entire area. The populace was restless, and the area was still under frequent attacks by bands of robbers, so fierce and dangerous that many professionals of the area, such as doctors and the like, had left for safer territories. Well, Father Anthony's responsibilities seemed to expand. In addition to his preaching and tending to the spiritual needs of his parish, he would have to pick up the slack, and though he was untrained in the practice of medicine, he would also serve as doctor and physician, attempting to heal both the body and the soul. But something strange started to happen. He was busy tending to the souls, and at the same time, He was now curing the sick, and not just the sick, but the dying as well, which he interpreted as God's way to get the people's attention so that he could more forcefully call attention to the word of God. Well, he would receive a letter from the Father General in Rome who had sent him to Spain earlier, in which he was told And I quote, God brought you to our society, not to stay in it here, but to learn how to save souls for heaven. End of quote. It seems Providence was directing his moves, and so it must have been particularly true in his new assignment, because even the government had been affected and was now anti-religious to such a great degree, particularly in the outlying areas that religion was being stifled. Well, there was a possible solution, and that was Father Anthony Claret, who was appointed as an apostolic missionary to help return the focus of the area and its people to God. The territory was not easy. It was mountainous and contained within its borders about 13 cities with an additional 400 villages. So the skills of Father Anthony were being sorely tried, but he was succeeding. He was going from location to location on foot and taking with him only his breviary, perhaps a pair of socks, and maybe a part of a loaf of bread to eat on his journey, always walking. It was difficult and often dangerous. On one occasion, he was heading for a small village where he was scheduled to give a sermon, and while he was crossing a particularly mountainous pass, he would be captured by one of the bands of bandits who inhabited the area and who intended to rob him. When the group discovered that all he had was his usual few items, they were so angry they were ready to shoot him. Well, He explained that he was scheduled to give a retreat in the next village, and the people were expecting him, and it was important for him to go, but he promised if the bandits let him go, well, he would come back the very next day at the same place and at the same hour, and they could do with him as they wished. And he made it perfectly clear that he would indeed come back. Well, probably amused, they took him up on the offer and let him go on to the village where he would deliver his sermon. He went and preached to the throng who were waiting for him, and indeed the very next day, at the very same time, he returned as promised to a very surprised group of outlaws, where he also spoke to them of God's love. But instead of killing him as they had promised, the outlaws knelt and confessed their sins to him. 
Well, he would continue his missions no matter how distant, and he would go with his meager belongings, wearing a threadbare cassock, spreading the word of God's love, and giving missions that lasted anywhere from a few days to a week or or more, with larger and larger crowds coming to hear him preach. And he would accept no money for his efforts, and if money were offered for his sermons, he would refuse to accept it. And his travels were never easy, but he would move ever onward from parish to parish, putting the success of his mission solely in the hands of the Blessed Mother, often extolling the examples of the conversion of both Mary Magdalene as well as St. Augustine. Perhaps one of the secrets of his success was that he never chastised his audience, but spoke on goodness and forgiveness. And while he was forceful in some of his denouncements of sin, he was gentle in his approach, drawing people closer to him. Well, the results were obvious. People would often wait in line for hours at a time to go to confession to him, and some would have to wait so long they would even bring their meals. As a confessor, he had the ability to read souls. When a penitent on occasion would hesitate, he would remind them of a certain sin, or if they would omit a certain sin, he would question them about it. And as he traveled about, it was not uncommon for him to spend an entire day or even more in the confessional. He now would sometimes spend as much as 12 hours in the confessional on a single day, He was making such momentous inroads that many of the secular politicians of the day were plotting to have him killed. They were interrupting his or their plans for the dissolution of the church. Well, because of the dangers to his life, Father Anthony was sent to an island off the west coast of Africa that was owned by Spain. The time was not the best. Morals were weak, dishonesty was everywhere, despair was in the air, and there was a terrible drought that was causing those who were farming the land to be certain that their crops would wither in the fields. Always sensitive to the areas in which he preached, Father Anthony would address their fears head-on, speaking with conviction. He told them, I can promise you, brothers, that before the mission is over, there will be a plentiful rain that will revive your plants, quiet your homes, and rejoice your hearts. Well, his mission would last 28 days, and its effect would be great on the island. As the mission was concluding, old enemies were now friends, animosities forgotten, feuds ignored, Honesty was restored, and as he finished his last sermon, the plentiful rain commenced. The local pastor would write the bishop, and I quote, This town has never seen the like of it. The bitterest enemies have made peace. Scandals, both public and private, have been terminated. Broken marriages mended. Restitutions have been made. And why? Because no one can withstand the fire of his preaching, the kindness and liveliness of his manner, and the impact of his reasoning. The appeal of his words breaks the listeners' hearts, and everybody, even the proudest, falls at his feet weeping. End of quote. It was now not uncommon for penitents to begin lining up even before daybreak just for him to hear their confessions. 
On the island, there were other things that brought the people back to God. There was a young woman in her mid-twenties who had suffered from epilepsy starting in her childhood, and her convulsions were so violent that it took a number of strong men to contain her. She suffered another attack on the evening of one of Father Anthony's missions. He heard the uproar and questioned what it was all about, and when it was explained to him, he took a handkerchief and dipped it into holy water and told the people holding her, let her free. They refused, saying she will hurt herself, but he repeated, let her free. And as they did, he placed the handkerchief to her face, and she sat quietly, and then sat up cured and never experienced another attack. On another occasion, he was giving a mission that drew such a large crowd that they had to move it outside to handle the entire crowd. And when they did, a terrible wind blew through the square, extinguishing all the lanterns and and causing them to be taken from the owner's hands and crashed to the floor and the ground beneath. The people were, of course, terrified. But Father Anthony said, God has not given the demons permission to damage the lanterns. Pick them up and relight them. To everyone's amazement, not one was broken, and he finished the mission, proving Satan is powerless before God. On another occasion, he was inviting people to a mission as the grain and wheat were being harvested. The farmers were afraid they would lose their crops if they left, and Father Anthony assured them that they should come, that no rain would harm them, and that the crops would be even more plentiful. Well, those who came had bountiful harvests, but those who refused lost their crops in violent storms that missed all the farms of the people who listened to the word of God. A good lesson for all of us today. And there were to be multitudes of heavenly blessings following Father Anthony wherever he went. A father, Paul Coma, would later tell of the time that he had been, many years before, entering the church when Father Anthony was saying Mass. In his own words, he would say, and I quote, When I was 15 years of age, I entered the parish church of St. Eugenia, and I noticed an unusual splendor surrounding Father Anthony, whose face was transformed. This strange brightness spread its rays as far as the sacristy. This happened while the servant of God was giving missions in Catalonia. End of quote. Later in October of 1850, Father Anthony was consecrated to be the new archbishop of the local parish of Santiago, Cuba, and because of his love for the Holy Virgin, he added her name to his, and he now became Father Anthony Mary Claret. Well, now this new parish to which he was being sent was huge, comprising about half the island of Cuba, and a few parishes had never seen a bishop. And so in his true missionary spirit, over mountain and valley, through forests and swamps, he would visit every single parish, rich or poor, where he would teach and preach the word of God. He was so effective that within a couple of years, he would baptize 100,000 people, hear confessions five or six hours a day, and bring more than a quarter of a million souls to the confessional, 
and at the same time who would organize a confraternity of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in every parish. During his few years in Cuba, the island would be struck by devastating earthquakes. Once he would be later preaching, when the earth again began to shake and the people present were terrified, he told them to have no fear. He knelt and blessed the ground, and the quaking stopped. In his six years there, he more than doubled the number of parishes before he was recalled to Spain, where he reluctantly was named confessor to the queen. When one does as much good and is as holy as Father Anthony Mary Claret, there is bound to be those who are antagonized because he represented all that was good and holy in his life. There were at least 14 known attempts on his life, and when the perpetrators of these deeds were known, Father Anthony would just say, Let them alone. They are the builders of my soul. Well, he continued writing, and more than four million copies of his works were circulated. He also wrote catechisms as well as a manual for seminarians, and he would record that the Blessed Mother had once audibly told him, Anthony Wright, and on five occasions Jesus or Mary had said that he had written well. On Christmas night in 1864, after midnight mass, Father Anthony had a vision of Mary holding the infant Jesus, and he was given the child to hold. One of the other religions happened to be in the church at the same time and was privileged to be a witness of this holy and miraculous event. Undoubtedly, more than any other person, Father Anthony Mary Claret was responsible for Spain being one of the most Catholic countries in the world even to this day. There are many more stories illuminating the life of this holy priest who was called home to worship at the foot of God and his holy mother on October 24th in 1870. During his funeral mass, a tiny bird entered the cathedral singing sweetly over the casket of Father Anthony Mary Claret and disappeared as quickly as it appeared at the end of mass. He was canonized a saint by Pope Pius XII on May 7th in 1950. Saint Anthony Mary Claret was certainly following the words of Saint Matthew. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Can we do any less? What an impact we would have on earth if we followed the example of St. Anthony Mary Claret. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.